Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. I am your host, Jay Gannon. Before we get started, I've got to fill you in on a couple things that we're working on. I'm sure many of you have heard, but we're going to be putting on our first ever virtual conference called Tech Mission. Join us on October 7th and 8th to hear industry ex- experts talk about how we can work together to make the industry better. I'm really excited about this conference because we are having a roundtable of technicians and really building off of that. So really hearing directly from the source and, and directly from technicians on how we can better change the industry and then have other industry experts involved to kind of help dissect what they say. A uh, couple other things we're working on, Wrenchway Insiders. If you haven't had a chance yet, go out and sign up for Wrenchway Insiders. It's a great, great way to give good, candid feedback about industry-related topics and then we take those, we take that feedback and we put it into a, a weekly show called Wrenchway Weekly. Uh, they kind of work hand in hand and it really is based on participation from our insiders. So go check out Wrenchway Insiders. You can go to wrenchway.com, check out the resources tab and sign up for Wrenchway Insiders today. Now to the show, today we welcome Mike Vogel. Mike is a phenomenal person that has a deep passion for fixed ops. His years of experience have made him one of the most respected names in the car business. I'm lucky to have gotten to know Mike pretty well, and I think our listeners are really going to enjoy hearing what he has to say. How are you doing today, Coach? I'm doing great, Jay. Thanks for having me on the show. Very much appreciated, and I hope I can bring some value to your listeners today. Oh, you will. I I, uh, I always enjoy my conversations with you, and and I think being able to record it now and, and just kind of get some of the stuff that we talk about out in the open is, is great stuff. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How, how did you get into the automotive business to start with? And, and you've been in the automotive business for a long time. So I, I want to go back to the, the roots of that. How did you get into this business? Sure. Um, well, first of all, I grew up in New York. I currently live in California, east of Los Angeles. But I started, I had a passion for cars from the time I was a little boy, like a lot of guys do. And um, I actually started with Avis Rent-A-Car, ironically. Um, They had a used car lot in Queens, New York, and I started out as a porter. So I was responsible for washing cars, starting them up, changing dead batteries, plowing the lot in the winter times, fun, 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 (laughs) uh, and all that good stuff. And uh, that was my stepping stone to getting into the dealership world. Um, After that, I joined a Honda dealership in the Bronx, uh, worked as what's called a prep manager, which I found out when I moved to California that doesn't exist out here. <laughs> and it was, so that was, uh, so I spent some time with some Honda dealerships back East, including Paragon Honda, which is one of the biggest in the country yep. right now before I moved to Los Angeles. And, uh, when I moved to Los Angeles, as I just mentioned, when I was looking for a prep manager job. Found out it didn't exist. I was uh, fortunate enough to have a Nissan dealership give me a chance to become a service advisor, and they put me through about a month worth of training before they put me out on the service drive. Nice. And uh, they put me next to their most seasoned guy that they felt would teach me the best. And uh, he actually did a great job. His name was Ron Van Leer. Uh, may he rest in peace. Unfortunately, he's not with us anymore. And uh, 
he moved on to another Nissan store, called me about three months later, asked me if I'd wanted to come over there. I did because I liked working with him. And two years later, uh, I was offered the service manager position. And uh, kind of the rest is history. I don't want to bore your listeners with too much, but uh, I've built my career from there. I've opened up two dealerships from scratch, brand new, hired all the employees, started with zero customers. That was really, really challenging, but a lot of fun as well. Yeah. And um, after spending about 15 years with Toyota dealerships, I got the opportunity to oversee the DCH Auto Group, their West Coast division. So I was responsible for 13 dealerships. And I also uh, ended my career um, with the Cummings Auto Group overseeing four dealerships. So kind of run the whole gamut from starting as a prep manager, lot porter, all the way up to a corporate fixed ops director job. See, and that's that's the cool story of a lot of our guests that I, I want to get out there, right? Where starting as a porter and working your way to the top of the dealership, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of stories like that. And those are cool stories. Those are those are the ones that we want to emphasize in this industry. There is so much opportunity. And and if you work your tail off, you can get places you want to go. It just it, it takes time. You've been in the business for a long time. And it, those are, I guess, to me, those are such cool stories that don't get told enough, right? And I think that's, uh, there's just, I don't know, that's a, a starting off from the bottom to the going to the top, a pretty cool story. Well, yeah. And, and you know, even though you need, you need your education, obviously, and I had some college background, I never graduated from college, you can still pursue your dreams. You know, you got, you got to have the passion for it. You have to really enjoy what you're doing. And if you have those two things and you listen, observe, attach yourself to the right people, uh, I mean, the future is endless. Yeah. Uh, man, that's cool. So what took you to Los Angeles? I, I, I've always wanted to ask you that. Why did you go from New York to Los Angeles? Well, actually, it, there's, a, there's a negative and a positive to that story. <laughs> the negative part was uh, my first marriage, my, my ex-wife wanted to move to Los Angeles. And so we started exploring the options and spent some time and, and her parents at the time were getting ready to retire. And so they ended up jumping the gun and came out here and bought a house. So that made it really simple to, you know, move 3000 miles. <laughs> and so subsequently things didn't work out and that that's fine because I moved on a long time ago, met a beautiful woman out here uh, that's from California, and we've had a wonderful life together for the last 20 plus years. That's so cool. I, and that's, I mean, I, I think about you, whenever I think about you, I think California, I don't think New York, uh, you know, it's it's just, uh, it's kind of funny how that works. But so what do you do today? I, I know you're, you're kind of retired, but then you've got your hands in some things and, and doing some, you know, you were one of the the founders with Ted of the, the fixed ops round table. Tell me a little bit about what, you know, what you're doing today. Sure. Well, like you mentioned, uh, I consider myself semi-retired. I, I don't think I'm ready just to walk away and do nothing. And actually with this pandemic going on right now, that, you know, that's even all the more reason because right now I can't jump on a cruise ship or I can't fly <laughs> to another country and do a tour. So uh, but but I still have the passion for the business. So I do consulting for different things. I worked for a uh, 
retention loyalty rewards program for about three years, great program, uh, implemented it in a lot of dealerships out here. It's called Smart Tech Enterprises. Um, recently just left them and I'm actually doing some consulting work for a company called Update Promise. And they're a um, software company that really encompasses the whole gamut for the service department for, from communication to multi-point inspections to payment options, to text communication. It, it, it's a really great program. I would compare it to X-Time, except it's, I would say it's X-Time on steroids. Wow. It's, a, it's a pretty incredible program. And then most recently, um, I've been doing some consulting for dealerships, kind of taking a different approach as opposed to just going in and training service advisors or technicians. I'm focusing more on training service managers I want to go in and coach them so that they're able to lead their teams and not have consultants coming in every six months to change things up again. Right. And I think that's something that's been missing from the business for a long time. You see consultants go into a dealership and they come back three or six months later and things are completely changed. Things that nothing's been sustained because of lack of leadership. And so I'm focusing more on the leadership end of it to help grow customer attention. And that leads directly into our topic of the day, right? And, and we want to talk about the leadership or lack thereof in service departments. What do you see when you go into a dealership and you start to evaluate how a service department is run? Uh, is, there a, is there a core problem there? Or how, how do you see it when you, when you go into a service department? I would say you, you need to look at the relationships first. I mean, we talk about customer relationships with, with your employees, but you also have to have relationships with your own employees. And so I look at how they operate. You know, too many uh, managers, and I was guilty of this early in my career, spent a lot of time in their offices. And yeah. they really, you know, and, and Part of that, their fault, and part of it is how the industry has been run. We've been so focused on numbers, numbers and we're not uh, driven on relationships. And so we're constantly chasing, like a cat chasing their tail. We're constantly chasing the numbers instead of focusing on the experience, both the employee's experience and the customer's experience, so that customers want to come back and do business with you. And employees want to stay working with you because they enjoy coming to work every day. And so that's what I look at. You know, leadership means you, you got to be in the trenches with your people. You got to walk the shop, talk to the guys, see what's going on. Same thing with your service advisors. Same thing walking, walking through the customer lounge, talking to your customers. Um, all that plays into um, whether you're going to be a really strong leader or just a mediocre at best leader. Well, and I think you're spot on there. And I, I was guilty of that as well, of sitting in the office and, and not really getting out and engaging. And I look at a lot of maybe younger service managers and honestly, even some older service managers that uh, kind of are in that same boat. Do you see them getting training before they're in that role? I know like when you talked about your first role in California, you had you know, you were set up as a service advisor, went through a great training program. Do you see enough training from that transition or, you know, where does a typical service manager come from that in, in your eyes of what you see? I think it needs to start with 
um, looking at how they operate, for instance, as a service advisor, you know, how's their customer relationships? You know, for instance, I, I spent a lot of time, I didn't look to make the complete sale every time. I used to give customers options. I, I did everything I told them I was going to do, whether it had to do with follow-up, regardless of what the situation is. And if, and if you've got somebody that's good with people, that's usually a good indication because really you can teach numbers, you can teach processes, yeah. but you can't teach, you know, you can't change a, a person's personality per se. And, and a good example is late last year in 2019, I did some uh, coaching for a Nissan dealership and the general manager ironically was the guy that was the GM at the Nissan store 30 years ago that I worked with. He says, come in. I want you to see what you can do with the department. I want, I don't know if my guy is the right guy in the position. He was the parts manager. He was promoted to service manager five years ago and we're just, we're stagnant. Yeah. So I came in and I, and I spent, um, I go in half days cause I don't believe in taking a service manager away from his job for a whole day. So I spent a half, um, three half days in during the month and I reported back to him. I said, give me give me another two weeks spent another two weeks and and went to him i said look he's a great guy he's a company guy but he's really a parts manager he doesn't have the personality traits to be a good service manager to lead the department he says okay keep working with him and so on and so forth end result i spent a total of three months about 10 days at the dealership um did whatever i could do and here we are probably nine months later and he's still running that service department. He never made a change. So, you know, when you talk about leadership, it's not just the service manager. What about the general manager or dealer principal? Yeah. Well, it all starts and ends with them really. What they allow and don't allow is going to dictate how well it runs. And, you know, when you talk about how, how do you, you know, how do you get a service manager trained? That's a great question. When I was a service advisor and I got that promotion to service manager, it was a big store. We had, I had a service director over me and a fixed ops director over me. And the reality is they were not great leaders. Yeah. I respect them as people. I like them, but they weren't great leaders. And we were constantly running in circles. You know, a good example is work in process and end of month. End of month at that store meant I was there from six o'clock in the morning till midnight, chasing down open ROs, things like that. It was craziness. Same, same thing with technician hours and things like that. And it wasn't until I left that store and, and opened up a brand new Nissan store on my own that I really started gaining some traction on how a store should run. Some of that came from outside vendors, some of that came from outside consultants, and some I, it was trial by fire. That is really, really interesting. And, you know, maybe let's start at the top there. Just like you talked about, have you seen an evolution with ownership or uh, executive leadership in a dealership with regard to how they view a service department? Unfortunately, I wish I could say yes. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it's improved from where it has been, probably out of necessity but it's not anywhere near where it needs to be. They, they typically come from the sales side of the business, which is a totally different animal. Yeah. And, you know, 
ironically, just a quick story. Um, when I used to interview for, for a position, if I was looking for a new, new position for whatever reason, I would always ask them, what's your expectations of me? And typically they, they wanted the numbers turned around, you know, at the snap of a finger. And yeah. I say, well, I'm probably not your guy. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, it doesn't work that way in fix ops. You know, we have a customers visiting maybe twice a year. And so in order for me to turn this around, I'm going to need a minimum of 12 months at the very least before you see some significant results. If you expect it in three months, then let's not bother wasting each other's time. Yeah. And, and so again, I think the business as a whole, and I get it, we're in business to make money, but if, if we continue chasing the numbers to become successful, I don't think you can really become successful. You got to be more like a, um, Greg, Greg Penske that owns Longo Toyota. He puts his employees and his customers first. He knows the profits will be there if he treats his customers right and if he treats his employees right. And you know what? It's, it's the number one dealership for 50 plus years for a reason. That's, and, and do you see, uh, when, when we talk about taking care of employees right, does, does he do anything differently for say his service department as compared to his sales department? And, and I, I think that's kind of a loaded question because I, I'm saying that with the assumption that we talked about where, uh, where you mentioned before, where most ownership groups or, or owners of a dealership come from the sales side or the variable side. Does he do something different uh, that is in regard to his service employees that they feel that warm and fuzzy feeling and, and really drives them to be their best? Well, he's, first of all, he cares. Yeah. I mean, that, that's significant, especially from somebody as big as he is. I mean, he learned the business from his dad, Roger Penske Sr. And he worked every job starting as a porter at a Cadillac dealership up in Bakersfield, wow. California. And his dad did not let him shoot right to the top. He had to learn every single job, every single department before he was given any opportunities. So he generally cares. He has a unique quality that he's able to remember details about everything. So like I opened up a brand new Toyota store for him in Orange County in 2004. And when he, um, when he would come visit the store, you typically once a week, he would make it a point to walk around the store and talk to every single employee that was working there that day. And he remembered details about things that they had told him on previous visits. And I used to think to myself, this is a guy that that's running the, you know, has at that time, I think he had seven dealerships. He has the biggest car dealership in the world. And he can remember what a quarter told him three months ago. Man. And a perfect example of that is the dealership was under construction. He had already hired me. And my wife and I went out to visit the construction site on a Sunday. Turned out he was there. Introduced him to my wife. She has an unusual first name, not a typical woman's name. Her first name is Myrna. And we left. He didn't see her again till the following year when we had our Christmas party. At the Christmas party, he's there greeting everybody coming in. And he walks right up to her and he says, Hi, Myrna, how are you? Good to see you again. Wow. Who does that? So I think it, it starts with there. The other thing that, that Greg Penske does, he has a thing called Penske College. 
Okay, and everybody that joined our dealership was required to go through one week's worth of training at Penske College to learn the Penske culture and the Penske way of doing business. And, you know, it, it really, really made a difference. We opened up a brand new store where it was incredibly successful pretty quickly. We had four Toyota stores within a 15 minute drive of that dealership that were big stores and we started making a dent in the business there. So, but, you know, getting back to fixed ops, for the first year, he guaranteed everybody their pay. That included myself, my service advisors, my technicians. Guaranteed pay, regardless of how many hours they flagged. We got done with year one. We were growing, but we weren't there yet. Again, we started with zero customers. Yeah. Two, he still continued guaranteeing people their pay. You don't, you don't find enough owners and deal principals and general managers that get it, that, that realize that they got to focus on their people if they're going to be successful. That's I, it, it. Hearing you talk about Greg Penske, it reminds me of conversations. Um, you know, I was down in Arizona at a, a couple of Rogers dealerships, right? And everybody to a man has very similar things to say about Roger Penske. So the apple didn't fall too far from the tree in the amount of no. detail that goes into it. And, and that's, that's not money things, right? That's not like monetary because they're the Penske's, they can do things a certain way. It's literally like, they just, they treat people right. And, and that's, um, I don't know. It's so refreshing to hear that. There's lots of opportunities within them and, and, and they're true opportunities. You know, we talked about my career earlier, but going back to that store, the uh, the woman that opened up the store, Renee, who who was the general manager, vice president of the store, started out as a receptionist in the 1980s at Longo Toyota. She worked her way up from a receptionist into, and I don't remember how many jobs she held, but she worked her way up where she was actually the GSM of Longo Toyota. And when he was opening up this new point, he offered her the opportunity to be a vice president and general manager of the store. Wow. So tons of opportunities. Um, and that, that holds true on the fixed ops side incredibly. A lot of shop foremen. His fixed ops director at Longo just became a general manager, general manager of his Mercedes store up in Northern California. So when, when you get a dealer operator, general manager that puts their people first, I mean, they're going to be hugely successful because that's going to, that's going to spill over to how the customers are treated. Yeah, that is so cool and such a good point. So let's work our way down the chain then. If, if you're going from the ownership down to the fixed ops director level or um, maybe a service director, what is what do you see that is needed from their end to be a good leader, uh, to, to really do their job? I think it's, it's the same care that goes into it. As long as they're given the freedom to run the department the way they need to, they can be successful. So, you know, we talk about technicians and, and I think you have to have a guidelines for your technicians, a plan. Okay, I come in as an entry level technician, a, a lube, let's say a lube technician, express technician, while I'm in trade school or when I just graduated. How, how does my career path work at your dealership? 
a service manager needs to have that in mind. You know, they can't expect these guys to show up and change oil and rotate tires and not get excited about moving up the ladder, assuming they do a good job, of course. And what are the opportunities that, that, that are available to them? How far can they take their career? If you're not able to, to give that to them in black and white, you know, they're going to be looking for a job. They're going to be calling find a rent and say, hey, I need a new job. <laughs> so that relationship, talk to me a little bit about that relationship, right? The, the, re the relationship between that fixed ops director, service director, service manager, and the importance of them all being on the same page when it comes to a career path or just generally how you're managing a department? So I think you have to have an end goal. What, what is the end goal? I mean, do we want to continually chase looking for new technicians or do we want to keep our current technicians happy and have them tell other technicians about what a great place it is to work at? Right. So, you know, it's, it's treating them right. It's including them in planning. So again, early in my career, I, I didn't do a great job, but as I learned through the years, I, I understood about including my people in the process. I think a part of that probably came in, um, 2001 Toyota corporate had a program called signature. And what it was, was designing all the customer touch points the best processes possible and you included everybody within your departments you included technicians cashiers porters advisors the whole works and they got together on weekly meetings and put together what they felt the best process was to improve the customer experience so when you include them and they know that they're part of the team that that goes a long way I worked for a person once who, uh, where I was more in that kind of director level role and it, their management philosophy was different than mine, right? Like where I, I'm far more collaborative and want to talk with, with the team. Um, their personality was more of the, you need to have a plan in place and tell them what, what they're doing. Right. And it was weird. And I think there's a, there's a lot of, if you're a fixed ops director or you're a service manager and you're looking at taking a different job or you're in a current job where maybe that that management style is different, I think that can be it can be a good thing, right? It, it can be a good thing to have a couple different styles and and really run them off of each other. But I also think that there's that's something you have to look for is that alignment and making sure that you know, if, if you have a collaborative approach where you want to bring in the porters and you want to talk to the techs and whoever is involved in the process, you want to make sure you're aligned with whoever your manager is or whoever uh, the person underneath you is to make sure that the, the consistent message gets out, right? Because I think if there's conflicting messages there, uh, that can that can cause a little chaos too. Yeah, I 100% agree with that, and it, it can be challenging. I, I agree that you don't have to have the same personalities or the same thought process, but you do have to work together. You have to be on the same page when you're when you're dealing with the rest of your team. And a good example of that was I was at a Toyota store, and I came in, and the service manager that was there, I was the fixed ops director. He had been promoted up. He had been there for a long time. He had been promoted to service manager, I think, based on longevity, not based on qualifications. Yeah. 
And I really, really worked hard, like I do with anybody that I work with, to try to to make our situation work. And and it, it was very difficult. He was very short-tempered. Um, he was very short with his people, um, you know, to the point where I always had an open door policy and, and pretty much every employee within the department would prefer to talk to me than to him unless I wasn't there that day. And kind of like that Nissan store I talked about earlier, I went to the, uh, the president general manager of the store and I said, look, he's not the right guy for the position. You know, I know he's got longevity here and, and I respect that. And, you know, maybe we can ask him to step back into a service advisor role because customers loved him. It was just, he didn't have the employee side of it. And the, the GM just asked me to work on it, work on it, work on it. We're talking about three years I worked on it. And finally one day, and this is not the first time it happened, he snapped on one of the porters when they were closing the store one night. And the porter went to the HR department and filed a complaint against him saying that he was racist and numerous other things. Yeah. And so HR called me in and, and the general manager in, and I told the general manager, I said, see, this is what I've been telling you for the last three years. I said, I see this frequently, but you asked me to continue working with him. And that was when I finally got the opportunity to make a change. Mm. So yeah, you, you're, you're absolutely right. There's got to be that cohesion between management staff to to make sure that the team is treated properly and that, that they're happy to come to work. And I think a lot of that stems from the service manager, right? Because that's really who's directing traffic in a shop and that's who's really that 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 kind of captain of the shop in general, what do you see out of a good service manager? Well, they've got to be able to turn off any negativity. I mean, we, we all as humans have good days and bad days and we have situations going on in our lives. But when you're in a leadership role, you got to park that to the side. That's out of work. You know, that's a discussion for you and the GM to have if you've got some personal issues going on, but you know, if you're down in the dumps and you're in a negative attitude and you're down talking people, it's going to, it's only going to go downhill. It's, it's going to reflect on everybody. You know, you're going to bum everybody else out. Yeah. So you know, it, it, it's not an easy job, but you know, there, there are basics that you can do such as that, that, that can help make things better than they are. And, and it's, I think that's a learning process for anybody that's never been a leader, including myself, and I think you discussed it earlier. I mean, yep. I, I didn't come out the gate as, as a superstar service manager. It, it took time and effort to, to get there. That is such a good point. And I think that's, you know, we all start, when you start off as a, as a leader, and, and I think a lot of times it just comes in title, right? It comes as a manager uh, with the title and you have to maybe learn that leadership side a little bit are are we giving enough time and attention to to really getting these people prepared to take on a service manager role uh from a leadership standpoint probably not and you know i i think what might help and and again i'm i'm certainly not an expert on on this part of it 
is those personality tests that some companies use. Yep. I think they can probably help alleviate some of the bad promotions or bad hires based on that. Cause I've taken several of them throughout my career and they are so spot on and they, they pretty much tell you in there that, you know, yes, this guy's qualified. He's good. His people are going to like him and things like that. I, that, that could be some, I'm not saying that's hundred percent catch all going to, going to make guarantee you, you're going to have the right person. This is obviously more than one thing that's involved, but if they don't have the personality to be a leader, I think it's going to be a, an uphill battle. I talk to techs about that a lot, right? Uh, where a, a technician will say, Hey Jay, you know, I, I want to move up. I want to go up the ladder. And I've had some pretty candid conversations with some people to say, Hey, listen, I, when it's a different job or like if they want to go in and even be, a, if it's a service advisor and work their way through to learning the sales part of it, there's, there's so much more, and it's such a different maybe skill set from what they're used to in the shop. Right. And, and so I'm not saying I don't want to deter anybody from going that route, but you need to know yourself and what your strengths are. And if you need to be a strong communicator, uh, you need to be a strong leader. And there are opportunities to get better at that stuff. Uh, I think I work on it constantly, right? It's a it's it's an ever evolving process. But for a, maybe a, a technician that wants to work their way up the chain, what advice would you have for them? Well, first of all, patience, because you. Yeah, it's not always possible within a dealership, within a shop to, to promote guys up to higher positions like a, like a team leader or a shop foreman. Right. But I think if, if you're specifically talking about a team leader or a shop foreman, they too have to have that personality trait just like a service manager because they're, they're moving into a leadership role and they need to be able to have their team perform at a high level. And the only way you can do that is if, is if you treat them right. And I'll give you uh, an example would be, I had a technician that worked for me at one Toyota store and he was an excellent master technician, but he chose to be a used car technician. That was his comfort zone. He liked working on different cars. He finally got fed up at that store and I was at another Toyota store and we're talking about, it was 40 mile difference driving each way. And he still came because he enjoyed working with me. So when he got there, he worked there a couple of years, again, as a used car technician. By then, he had gotten up to the highest Toyota level, which is master diagnostic technician. And probably three years into being there, I was ready to put a shop foreman in place in that store. And I talked to him, and he didn't know if he wanted to do it. And I wanted him to be a non-working shop foreman. So I wanted him to really work with the express technicians, the entry-level technicians, work with the other technicians as far as troubleshooting, working with the factory on, on issues. So he finally agreed on it. And he was excellent because he had the right personality and the technicians loved him. Mm. And eventually, after he was in that position, I want to say two or three years, he actually applied to be a field technical specialist with Toyota corporate and got the position. Wow. And now everybody in the Los Angeles region gets to deal with him and they love him. 
that's another great story, right? Like that's another escalation of somebody that, you know, worked their tail off and, and uh, played to their strengths and, and did well. Yeah. And at that time I had two choices within my shop to be the shop foreman. The other guy was also excellent, excellent technician, but he had a little edge about him. Yeah. Good guy, but I, I didn't see him as being as good a fit. And I know once I got this other gentleman to, to agree to the position that I made the right move immediately. I, you could see things change in the shop right away. Yeah. How do you approach the person that didn't get it, right? Like the, the other one that was, uh, you know, also an excellent tech and and really, you know, had some qualities that could have been desirable for that. Mm -hmm. how, how do you approach them to make sure that they're not offended? In, in, the, in this case, he, we had never discussed him possibly moving into that. That was an internal conversation I had with myself. Yeah. And he, once, once we made the announcement, I, before we did that, I brought in all my top technicians and explained to them what I was going to be doing and why I was going to do it. The thing is, uh, this technician, Eric, was so well-liked and well-respected in the shop. They were all good with it including yeah. the, the one guy that would have been my second choice. That's interesting. And I, I think you, when you talk about leadership, you just showed leadership right there, right? By talking to each of the techs individually, explaining, you know, the, the decision that's been made and, and really being proactive with that. I've, I've seen people not do that and it really, really blows up in their face. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think, um, early in my career, I didn't have a lot of technician meetings, and when I did, they were typically beat-up sessions. Yep. And I, I learned later on in my career that that was definitely the wrong way to go, and I started including them in service advisor meetings, and I had, indi uh, not individual, but technician meetings, you know, lunch meetings separately. And I think, you know, the, the more I communicated, the, the better things got. So... I think had I known that 20 years earlier, who knows how far I could have taken my career, but you know, it's, it's a learning curve. That's a, that's a really key point though. And, and one where for you new managers out there, I think is a really good piece of advice in that it can be easy. You know, we, we opened this conversation talking about how you had um, an open door policy and, and, you know, maybe at first you weren't out seeing everybody as much, but then as you grew as a manager and a leader, you started to go out and, and really, you know, manage by walking around. And I think that's one of the tough parts about stepping into a leadership role is to that, that first part, right? If, if there's some unhappy people because of the way things have been done before, they want to be heard. And if you don't, do that right away. I mean, my piece of advice out of that, and I, I don't know if you would agree with this, Mike, but that would be one of the first things I would do when when managing a new store is to have those conversations, especially if if maybe there was questionable leadership before. You want to allow them to vent. You want to you want to talk to them and hear what they're saying. Did you have a similar experience in that regard? Definitely. It's all about building relationships and you have to let them know who, who you are, what you stand for. 
set the expectations, just like we ask service advisors to set expectations with their customers. You need to set expectations with your teams. You know, not only, uh, you know, performance uh, expectations, but just, you know, general stuff, you know, be on time, you know, clean uniforms, make sure your stall is clean. Yeah, it's trivial, but, you know, all these things play into the big picture of, of a, a culture within the department. And I think the quicker you get that out there, and then you once you get that out there, you have to continue the conversation because it's it's always evolving. And they're, they look at that, right? I think techs look at that. And you hit on the underlying thing of everything, which is, you know, this is a people business. And, and to grow those relationships, to grow that trust factor is really, really hard to do and really easy to screw up. But if you're, if you're intentional about it, I think you can make a lot of, a lot of headway with that. I guess as we're closing down and getting close to the end of the podcast here, Mike, what advice would you give to managers on, on becoming better leaders? And, and based on what you see when you go in and consult with somebody, what would you, what would you encourage for them to do to get better? Listen, listen to your people. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to do necessarily do anything about it, but, but, Take the time to listen to people. A lot of times you'll get good ideas that uh, that they share with you that can help. But at the very least, sometimes listening is, is not about ideas. Sometimes listening is about just something going on in their home life, something, yeah. uh, wh whatever the case might be. You know, I think being a good listener, again, going back to the fact um, if you if you go into a leadership role and your number one focus is chasing numbers, you're going to constantly be behind the eight ball. I, I think you need to focus on your relationship building with your team and with your customers and the numbers will always follow. Is that something you can improve on? Definitely. I mean, because everybody's going to have a different comfort level with having one on one conversations or having department conversations you know not everybody's comfortable in that role you just have to go into it open-minded and and with with anything else in life i think with practice you get better practice experience uh i you know i preach being proactive with your your education if you can self-educate and and read and and try to become a you know a better communicator a better leader uh, I think it can it can have a huge impact. I know it did on mine, have a huge impact on on your career in general. So I, I think that's a great message. Sure. How do people get in touch with you? Probably best way would be through LinkedIn. Uh, look me up, Mike Vogel, Fixed Ops Coach. Um, I answer every and all messages. Uh, love to connect with anybody. If I can be of any assistance, I love reaching out to people as Jay, you know, uh, between the Fixed Ops Roundtable with, uh, with Ted Ings, Fixed Ops Mastermind. Yes. Um, with Dave Foy. I mean, there's, there's lots, of, lots of stuff going on uh, in automotive social media through those platforms. Yeah, and you're, you're kind of out front leading it and, and connecting a lot of people. Uh, I, I uh, applaud everything that you do, Mike. I, you know how much I look up to you and, and, uh, and really 
you've set a standard on on how we treat people and and others in this industry, and uh, I think it's it's so fun to see how involved you are uh, in trying to help make the industry better. So I, I thank you for setting that example and and uh, giving kind of a, a path to all of us to uh, to follow. I'm happy to do it. Uh, seriously, this, you know this, this business afforded me a great life, and you know now's my time to help others any way I can. So, you know, if anybody wants to reach out to me through, uh, through LinkedIn or through one of the, the Facebook groups on uh, Fixed Ops Mastermind or Fixed Ops Roundtable, happy to hear your conversation, happy to share my thoughts. It's all good. I would, uh, I would encourage any of the listeners out there to take him up on it. He's, he's, a, he's a great mentor to a lot of people and and does some great stuff. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Mike. I, I hope to have you on again. Uh, I, I, there was so much value and so many things that I think we could have dove even deeper into. And, and I think we'll do that again at some point, if that's okay with you. Absolutely happy to do it. And uh, as I said at the beginning of this, thank you so much for inviting me on here. It's, a, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you, Mike.